Hello and welcome to this episode of the podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Dave. I am here with Linda, and today we are talking to Johannes Koch. Say it good, or did I mess it up? You did very well, Dave. Hey, great to wow, see you. Wow, yes. We were speaking a little German before. I had some German in high school, and I have a close friend that's German, and I pretended that I could speak German with Johannes off camera. So thank you so much, sir. I'm really excited for this for this episode to talk about all things CICD and everything that you're doing in this space. Thank you so much for having me. It's, I think it's going to be great. I'm really excited to be here as well. Currently, you are a senior DevOps engineer, developer experience at FICO, and you are a community builder for AWS, which is where I know you from. You're very active. You have a channel. I, your handle, what do, what do the kids call it today? Is it still, used to be gamertag, handle, brand is lockhead. What do we call it today? Linda, you know better than me. What's the cool name for it? Handle. Handle? I haven't changed it yet. Handle's like no, from actually, old ham radios. What, actually, what's your at? What's my ad? What's my YouTube ad? At the moment, it's a CICD on, on AWS, right? But my, my gamer tag that I'm using, and Dave, I can't give that out, even though you can't give out yours, right? Yes, um, exactly. I'll have people follow me and tell me I suck. So we're not going to give that out. So mine is Lockhead, and I've had that for like 20 years, ever since I started my career in the kind of internet world, right? So. Oh, nice. Nice. I love it. Why don't we start with just your journey to the cloud? Because I love hearing people's backgrounds and you've done like lots of really cool stuff. So I'm, I've got questions. Why don't you start at the beginning and your journey to the cloud? Yeah, let's start somewhere. So I would say, let's start with when I touched my PC for the first time at the end, right? And that was uh, when I was starting to play an online game. At the time it was called Planetarian. It's a kind of old school web game. And yeah. that, that one Space brought Empire. me- Yes, Empire, exactly. Similar to something like O-Game. I think that's still around. Um, and um, I started playing that game, and then someone asked me, well, can we program or code a little tool that we can use to be better in our alliance, right? And that's what I started to do, and that's my first, first thing where I started to touch programming and started to understand the magic of writing code. You know, it's so funny because, and we talked a little bit about this out of camera, like same thing with me as a kid. I wanted to make my first game on a Commodore was like a choose your own adventure, but I was a sysop for BBSs, so bulletin board systems for those. We actually, Dar Darko's episode, we went into BBSs a little bit. And I used to, as a sysop, give myself extra turns in Space Empire. <laughs> okay, yeah. Because those games, they're so fantastic. They're so, just the premise of it and building an empire. And it's like, you know, Isaac Asimov's foundation. And I love the fact that you, I did the same thing. They were called doors back then. And it was a, it was all C, C++, and you could actually, you just, you had to encapsulate the interface that was getting passed to you. And it was basically the, the, you know, whatever the handle was for the person on the BBS. And then you got a couple of turns and you passed it back, you know? And so I, I love the fact that you were doing that in, in Planetarium. What was, what language was it? Was it, was it PHP or? Yeah, it, it was PHP at that time. Uh, so at least the tools that I built uh, was my first way into uh, object-oriented programming somehow as well, because they just came up at that time with PHP. And uh, yeah, it was, was pretty fun. And really, um, I 
at that time, I was doing that old way of doing CI/CD, right? So editing a file off offline, right? And then changing it, then uh, connecting to the server, uploading it manually, all of that kind of stuff without version control and stuff like that. So I'm really happy that those times are over. <laughs> yeah. That's why I'm here, you know? <laughs> exactly. This is why he's hopefully... going to teach us here on this call. So hopefully, I mean, <laughs> what was your first role post? Like, you know, you got into, you said you got into like kind of doing the manual version of CICD. How did you transition from that into like a job? Yeah, so actually after um, after my young young time at high school, when this actually started, right, I was doing programming besides uh, work and besides university and I studied mathematics. Uh, and after that, uh, I started in a software um, organization um, working um, as a QA engineer, right? So I really started with kind of the part where you start doing automation work to ensure that no manual work needs to be done anymore. Uh, and that's that was my first paid job at, um, um, at the Tesh uh, organization. I always think the QA engineers always have the best outlook because they know what to look for when things break. Like the trends, I think coming from a Q, I didn't come from a QA engineer, but my brother who he had a non-traditional journey to tech and he went in and his first job was QA engineering. And I feel like you have an outlook that really catches the other types of requirements that you sometimes don't have if you just go straight into just building just features. But when you have to, you have to account for other people's bugs and finding them, you kind of have a better outlook. Do you feel that way? Like, do you feel like you carried a lot of that into like other roles? Yeah, of course. I think you you get a different viewpoint into any kind of software that you build later or any kind of piece of code that you do, right? Because you just can see it from different angles. So um, I really think uh, that uh, the QA engineer role is uh, one of the most important roles, right? Um, however, today I believe uh, we need to ensure that we also teach developers to do QA uh, because yeah. there are still organizations that don't do that today. Yeah. And even the role itself has evolved a lot with now probably they there's a lot more coding involved in some QA roles than others and some automation. But then when there's automation, you sometimes rely on the tests, but you have to like, I, I guess it's like a nice balance where you all, it's kind of nice when you come from the manual end just to. Yeah, so my first role was really testing a Windows application, right? So I needed to move move around automatically the mouse and point it where it actually goes and where it needs to click. It. That was kind of hard. It was not like the cool frameworks that we have these days. Yeah. Right? But that's been 20 years ago, right? So I think my journey for the cloud started a little bit later. Uh, my yeah. journey for the cloud started when... Um, <laughs> I, of course, uh, when I took our software solution that was on-premise and we uh, were offering that for a lot of uh, banks and financial services, and we took that as piece of software and started to move it onto AWS. That was pretty fun. Um, started to move it on EC2 instances. That's the way that you usually start. Uh, we actually uh, did our first installation manually. That installation was then uh, living for, I think, three or four years uh, without much interruption. Uh, but after that installation, we, we knew that uh, there's no way in, in keeping and in growing this business doing it manually, right? And that's where I started to think about CICD automation and bringing things to life in an automated way right from the developer's desk. I love it. So so you you ended up in CICD really when when you're hitting that problem of scaling in a in a company too like to be able to maintain it. I mean so at, at the end it was the idea of uh, being able to provision our application 
in a software as a service manner without yeah. re-implementing the whole solution, right? So that's where we we thought about how do we provision automatically the different environments that we that we have, right? We wanted to segregate them based on the different uh, on the customer side, and um, because of that, yeah, it was really uh, making sure that we automate bringing up the infrastructure on AWS at that time. And that's where I started to to learn and love, right, uh, the the power of automation and making sure that we can provision all parts of the application in an automated fashion. I feel like uh, Q and A for me is the reason why it gives a different perspective. Is it takes years of therapy to get past all of the trauma. My Q and A was inheriting web pages and having to test them on Internet Explorer on Macs. And every time a developer, and myself included, was writing something, all I thought about was testing it in IE6 on oh Mac gosh, OS 9. And I was like, this is going to be so horrible. Why do you have to do this to me? Oh, yeah. Right? So it's like, uh, what, what, Linda? Oh, no, I'm just- Are you having flashbacks too? I'm having flashbacks to JavaScript, like <laughs> SVG, like IE related. Oh, yeah. Like, I to rebuild like- Vector graphics. And they took 10 times longer just- just to build Ryan, and I'm just having anxiety just thinking. Just See? See, there you go. Yeah, you just, you're you're actually getting the chemicals back from that experience. And, <laughs> you know, thank goodness we're getting past that. Thank it's, you for the therapy session, Dave. Yes, let it all out. <laughs> let the SVG healing begin. <laughs> well, I, I had the same issues with CSS, right? So the style sheet thing, they totally oh, behave yeah. different in Firefox and Internet and Internet Explorer at that time, right? So it, yeah. just, it was a pain when you started, tried to build something for web today at that time. Yeah, that's why I was like, screw this. I'm just going to do databases. <laughs> I'm tired of everything to be different on the front. I had a similar experience where I went into like, uh, I went more into cloud and I, I started out front and then went more, you know, full stack and then, back, and then cloud SRE. And it's funny because so many times I didn't feel fulfilled doing like when I was spend hours on like front end type things, it just felt like I was like spending time and then, oh, like this thing worked and it just didn't feel as fulfilling as like the back end or like. Right. <laughs> and people don't understand. You know what it's like? It's like uh, it's like being a taxi driver and you have to pedal the cab yourself. Like no one, no one understands like the Flintstones or something, right? Like no one understands the work that goes in just for the task that they expect. Yeah. Just for the, yeah. the, the, the thing to look Just to make that the, button. Yeah. I made this button. Just you don't understand. The hover with the little pop-up work on five browsers. That's Man, right. I celebrated <sighs> when IE, when we stopped supporting certain IE browsers. Oh yeah. Tears of joy. Sorry. The anyway. entire internet did. So yeah. we were we were in the financial services industry, banking industry, Ooh. and they were always using Internet Explorer six oh, I think, no. until a very long time. So I can tell yeah. you that it was really painful. But, oh, I'm uh, sure. Yeah, we we are past that now, right? So <laughs> yes, um, we are. We're and, all good. And on the ICD front too, many many things. So yeah, tell tell us more on, on that respect. So you you got really passionate about you know kind of what. <laughs> Yeah, I got really passionate about CICD, especially in the last uh, maybe two, three, three years, uh, where I kind of really thought about DevSecOps, DevOps, all of that mindset shift of making sure that we can think, can do things in an automated fashion, that we want to accelerate, that we want to make sure that we can bring code changes to production faster. And that kind of really started like four years ago when 
uh, the business that I was responsible for grew to towards a, a bigger business, and we needed to be able to scale faster, right, and to be able to deploy things faster. Where we also wanted to ensure that what we bring to production is kind of on a safe place, right? That's when you start thinking about CI/CD is not just automation or something like that. CI/CD is way more than that, right? It's making sure that all of the different components that are part of the end user experience at the end play together well and have the level of quality that you also want and expect from yourself and from your project. Yeah. And and you, you put a lot of also, I mean, I guess protections in place too. And and it's it's really, I remember like um, I was in a transformation time of like a CICD type pipeline where we were kind of doing it more manually and then automated. And I worked in like a, a type of job where we did a lot of live events and many things, you know, you wanted to make a change at 2 a.m. even as a developer. And I remember working as a software developer before I went more into the DevOps end and the way it changed my life as a developer, <laughs> just just that like few, that change of within like half a year that we went into like more like I could just deploy at any hour and have that, the, all the precautions in place, like any linters in place, you know, security, all these different aspects. And like, it is life-changing also for your productivity for the developers too. And I mean, all around for, our, for the user's experience. But like, I think like as a developer, I just remember so clearly the difference it made in my life and productivity. I, I cannot agree more. Um, I think we, maybe it makes sense to, to also talk a little bit about what we understand from a CI-CD perspective, yeah. right? So where does CI start? Where does CD start, right? And what are the components that we see as part of a CI-CD pipeline, right? And I had a question that I brought uh, for today, and maybe, Linda, we can think about that as well. Um, so for me, CI is continuous integration. Uh, it's all pieces that happen right after the code has been checked in to the repositories to the Bitbucket repository, to the Git repository or something like that, right? Uh, and then it's the process where we integrate all of the different pieces of our application of our microservice. We run uh, all kind of security testing, all kind of testing, uh, all kind of uh, unit testing, maybe also integration testing. Uh, we do linting. Uh, we ensure that we uh, do not have any secrets in the code. And those were the compliance checks that you talked about. And then for me, CI ends with the deployment to an environment, however we call that, that could be alpha, that could be development, but that's where CI ends. Is this the same way that you see it? I, I agree with that. And I, I actually, I, but I like, I like the way that you are phrasing it because I think I haven't heard it phrased that way, which I like way more. So yeah, no, and I, I agree. So kind of, and then from the deployment end, how, how do you phrase that? I, I kind of want to hear your take. <laughs> I, I can try. For me, uh, the, after that uh, deployment to a lower environment, to a testing environment, right, we already have something like an immutable package or artifact, right? Uh, which is now the one that we're going to uh, bring over and bring it to higher environments. And after that deployment to higher environments, we should also think about having automated testing to do our verification, right? Yeah. And that that step can then be repeated as many times as I want to, right? So there's organizations that want to have one lower production environment and one normal production environment, and then we also need to roll out to other environments. The process after the initial promotion should always be the same, right? There should not yeah. be a difference. I'm having so many flashbacks as you're speaking <laughs> because I even remember just like the importance of like when it was deployed, like things that would go wrong and like getting those automated messaging from GitHub Actions and getting that also to Slack and that, how that was a whole project itself, but how that helped also like, you know, I wasn't waiting, looking at something to deploy and then checking that it's up, up there like I did in the past. And all these yeah, things were just- That completely changed, completely right? Changed. Um, we, can, we can talk about that um, a little bit um, as well. Uh, one Before we go there, one question, Linda, what do you, what do you think about- 
pre-commit hooks and things that run on the developer's uh, desktop side, right? Um, is this something yeah. that you see as part of CICD or not? Because I was discussing that and not really uh, sure of where it belongs. Yeah. It's a I never I never fully like thought through if I would consider it part of CICD or not. And you know what? Here's the thing. I find that so much so many topics and tasks within DevOps have gray areas of where they land. Like people who are infrastructure engineers could be considered partly SRE, partly infra like there's so many lines that are gray. I kind of look at it in the same way where like you can technically package it into CICD because I think technically it is part of the core mission of CICD in a way. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I, it could go both ways, though. <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure, sure as well. It could go both ways, right? So it, it is all about developer experience and also about how the team wants to work at the end, right? So why why I'm bringing up that question? I've been in the last few weeks um, doing some recordings with uh, other AWS community builders around the way that they do CI/CD. So I've asked them and interviewed them about show me your CI/CD pipeline, and I've had people that explained to me, well, pre-commit uh, hooks are part of the CI/CD pipeline, and others told me pre-commit hooks. I don't do that. Right, I just commit, and then I wait for the feedback from the pipeline, which is why I'm not yeah. really sure on wh where this kind of belongs. Right, this is where the beauty is because DevOps is all about people. And so, how I look at this, like CI/CD, to me is operationalizing human processes. Right, and if your developers are continually doing pre-commit hooks, it has to become part of the process, so that when Dave, when you hire another person, and Dave's doing it differently. Right. It's it's trying to like put some order onto that chaos, but you want to be able to allow developers to still invent. You know, I it's so funny. I I love this about Amazon. And I'm sure I'm sure you, you have this at you know your company and everywhere, but I see it a lot at Amazon because of the nature of it being such an engineering org and the SDEs, even the DAs automate stuff. And yeah. so like yeah. even like creating like that, like there's all this like code being written to automate stuff. And so I look at that as like personal productivity. But if that becomes part of like a deployment flow, then I would look at what did you say? You said before, I love when you said something like no surprises, no surprises in code becomes immutable. Right. So I feel it's like that. If, I, if I'm doing something, there's going to be surprises in code. That's that's so true. Operational, uh, right? St still, I'm not sure. Right? So for me, CI/CD is way more than just automation, right? Because it is it is an art of enabling your developers to be successful in delivering code in an automated way really fast, mm -hmm. right? Because that's what we all aim for, right? We want even Dave to be able to commit a line of code that then lands in the production environment 10 minutes later if we're really lucky, yeah. right? But it needs to be security scans it needs to be without secrets it needs to have dynamic mm -hmm. scanning around it it needs mm -hmm. to be just on a very high level of quality and we also need to ensure that we didn't break the feature that linda built yesterday right mm -hmm. and that's the kind of stuff where cicd is more than automation it's bringing all of those points together making the glue around how this actually works at the end right whatever kind of system we have under that definition you would consider, I would, I would say, pre-commit hooks part of CI/CD because it also gives you technically the com the communication to the person also commit trying to like do something would be faster if there's like pre-commit hooks. Uh, well, yeah. I'm not sure, right? Because so the, it depends on the way that you as a developer work. Um, I tend to sure. commit ten, ten times per minute. Uh, if I need to uh, run pre-commit hooks with every commit, then uh, that's a problem, right? Because the pre-commit hooks will slow me down. Um, uh, yeah. Very important question. What's your go-to commit message? <laughs> I would say it's update um, or <laughs> small code change or something it's like that. It's not please work? <laughs> no, 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 it's update. Uh, or maybe sometimes I have a new feature or, uh, or I have... Uh, 
the ticket number that I'm actually working on without an additional thing, right? The reason for that is the way that I try to work is you do a feature branch, which is very short-lived, and then you create a pull request to merge to main. And that's where you add the, the real commit, right? Yeah. So the real information around what I did. And anything that happens on the feature branch will be gone because you squash the commits when you move to main. Mm -hmm. At least that's mm -hmm. my, my approach, right? And that also explains why I don't need pre-commit hooks because I will run most of my pipeline on the feature branch where we will then get the, all of the feedback that I need from a DevSecOps perspective. And I can still work on a different microservice while the first pipeline is executing on the features, feature branch, right? I'm a fan of the ticket uh, naming, by the way. It was it would it helped me also search in the past like things just because it's easier, especially when you have like 10 that, different tickets going on. That, that's true, yeah. And so we <laughs> so we try to enforce that, but not everyone does, does that everywhere, right? And open source project, it's not common as well, right? Yeah. Uh, but I think it's it's really important because it gives you a reference on what you're actually working on. Yeah, and then there's the aspect of also like re resetting your whole environment too and, and kind of like at some point kind of stash. I mean, depending on how a team does that. I remember days that... <laughs> We used to have a lot of inconsistencies, let's say, between dev stage and prod. And that was a whole scenario. And sorry, just a lot of flashbacks, just tons of them. <laughs> anyway. but, but talking to the other 10 plus 15 community builders that I did over the last uh, few weeks, right? I've, I've always seen the same pattern, right? And the same pattern is we do CICD, yes, but we do a minimalistic CICD when we work in open source. This means uh, we might have something like a unit test included, and then we have a deployment which is automated, but we don't consider all of the other parts and aspects that CI/CD has and that CI/CD requires, right, as being part of the delivery we, the deliverable that we do, right. And that's a, that's kind of a common pattern with open source projects. The way that I see that, uh, only a minimal have something like security scans enabled, dynamic scanning, or these kind of things, right? And only a minimal thing also makes sure that you have an integration test after the, the deployment. Yeah, and I would say like it's probably the balance between bottlenecking and keeping everything reliable and secure. So what, what are your thoughts there? What, what would you recommend others do and like to see? So I think that in the last few months, we have gone into the right direction. There have been a few things that are helping the community and new starters to think about CICD when they start a project. Let's start. Uh, on the one side, there has been this uh, announcement around the DPRA, uh, the Deployment Pipeline Reference Architecture, um, that has been uh, announced, I think, also open sourced from AWS uh, back in December at reInvent which gives a good guideline on how a good pipeline should look at. Right? So this is an open source project that goes into the direct uh, into the right direction. And then uh, an, another major thing around CICD uh, from an announcement perspective that I really loved, right, uh, is uh, Code Catalyst having the possibility with those blueprints, right? So Code Catalyst being a new service and the blueprints giving an opinionated view at how do you do CICD uh, when you start a new project. Yeah, I... I love that. Can we talk a little bit about the AWS services you're using? So for those folks who don't know Code Catalyst, and maybe they're familiar with some of Code Suite, you know, I know a lot of people have used Code Commit, but maybe they haven't created pipelines and so they haven't used Code Build or Code Popine. Can you talk a little bit to that and how that fits in with the project you're talking about, the DPRA? Yeah, let's try. Um, so <laughs> I think- Always try. Um, wait, wait, what does Yoda say? They're try, or do or do not. There is no try. Okay, let's do it. Do it. Um, there you go. <laughs> Love the attitude. So um, I think uh, we 
we need to uh, mention that CICD tools and tooling is a whole set of things today, right? And there's always multiple yeah. and different solutions. And um, I recently wrote a blog post around how many solutions or possibilities do you have to do parts of it on AWS? Which is funny, oh, right? Nice. Because I'll add AWS, it to the show notes, yeah. Yeah, uh, you can. Uh, AWS has a bunch of services that kind of offer similar things, right? On the one side, you have pipelines and Amplify. Um, that is one thing I have personally never really used, right? But you can do that. Uh, then you have stub functions, which can be used as a CI/CD tool as well. And I've seen organizations do that. Uh, then um, there is uh, all of the code suite. Uh, so this includes, uh, you just mentioned code build, but also called pipeline. Uh, which is also a service uh, a, a service to build pipelines. Here, most important piece is today that you can provision code build pipelines using CDK pipelines, where we get into CDK, right? Uh, and then uh, we already mentioned uh, the newest uh, part of the family, right, is Code Catalyst, uh, which uh, ever since I got into the beta and last year, um, I have been trying to use and have been trying to adopt. And I really think that this is a, a very good way of uh, making projects not start from scratch every time you start something new, right? And that's going to be a really um, a, a mind changer, uh, as I think, in the way that we that we do software projects going forward. And uh, I already mentioned the blueprints, right? So I think, uh, Linda, you did a video lately around uh, yeah. getting uh, getting in a single page application with Code Catalyst in just a few minutes up and running. Uh, and that works pretty well, right? However, if you look at, so let's try to talk about what Code Catalyst is, right? So for, for me, uh, Code Catalyst is a possibility of having an end-to-end -end integrated service on AWS, living on AWS. It gives me a a guidance on how to better do uh, software development or more efficiently do software development. Right? That's the way that I look at Code Catalyst. And I know that the team has a lot of things that they need still need to add uh, to, the, to, to go into that route, right? Uh, but what we already have today, we already have a full-fledged solution, right? So we have the possibility to start a new project from scratch and within minutes we have CloudFront, which hosts my web page and uh, which also gives me the possibility to directly iterate on that. So that's really what uh, I believe Code Catalyst is starting, going, going very well. And going back to the DPRA, Dave, there is a blueprint that implements that DPRA as well. So there is a blueprint in Code Catalyst that replicates a full-fledged application deployment pipeline. And you can use that, and it will deploy across multiple um, environments, and it will deploy across multiple regions for you as a user without you having the need to do anything, right? So this points people that want to use Code Catalyst exactly at the point where I want them to have, right? I want them to start their project with CI/CD. So even yeah. before they, the developer writes the first line of code, there should be a pipeline that promotes the stuff that they do up to production. That's my that's my intention, right? Yeah. Do you feel like any... So you've played around also with the blueprints, correct? So is there a particular one that you recommend specifically for people to look at? Because some of it does it for you, and I guess from a CICD standpoint... <laughs> I already mentioned that the DPRA one. So it's yeah. I think it's a DevOps blueprint. DevOps, the, I think that there is some homework in making the blueprints follow all of the best practices. And this is the homework that we that we still need to do, right? And here I hope that the Code Catalyst team will give us as a community the possibility to influence and to help with that soon, right? Um, so not all of the blueprints that we have today follow uh, CICD best practices, DevSecOps best practices, right? We need to get there. Um, only then we can really use this blueprint to uh, level up the the way that we do CI/CD in the in, 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 on AWS, right? So that's what I'm 
but I think we, we still need to uh, get better at. What's got you uh, excited for where all of this stuff is heading, right? And so we've had Code Suite for a while. Code Catalyst is this first attempt of integrated tooling and looking at projects holistically. Where do you kind of see CICD heading and for developers start thinking about now? So I think what I did not like about CodeWorld and CodePipeline were multiple things. Uh, on the one side, it was uh, the thing living in the AWS console, right? Uh, that was something I did not like. Uh, Code Catalyst lives outside of the console. It gives you the possibility to have something completely segregated from your applications. And you can also control the permissions uh, in a different way than you need to do that when you give access to the, um, to the console itself. And then uh, the second thing is that I believe that CodeBuild and CodePipeline were a lot of building blocks. Right, So it's like we built a lot of purpose-based tools at AWS. And that was exactly, that's exactly the problem, right? CodeBuild and CodePipeline give you tons of opportunities, tons of possibilities, but they don't give you guidance on how to do things better, on how to do things right. So think about um, developers that start working on the cloud and just want to get a web page up like Linda did, right? How long does it take them to build this in CodeBuild? I would say a few days, maybe even weeks to get yeah. this kind of in a shape because you need to know all of the commands. You need to know how to do things, right? And that's what Code Catalyst does different. It gives you, and I've called that a little bit more of an opinionated solution how you do things, right? But it gives people that want to start things a starting point, right? Without starting from zero. And even if they start, if, if you have a scale from zero to 100, and if they now don't start at 80%, but they start at 25, then that's better than letting them start at zero. And this is where I hope that the Code Catalyst team will add more like that. So this means, as an example, I have tons of ideas, right? And I've shared them with the team already with automated approvals for PRs backed up by CodeGuru. DevOps Guru automatically enabled after a deployment and then feeding back the information as an issue into your Code Catalyst source, right? Uh, that's where Code Catalyst can play a role of making the teams more effective. Right, because we can add, uh, add all of the operational best practices that, that AWS has, we can feed that back to the users. And that's where I see a lot of value. Right? If we think about security incidents as well, right? today, code build, code pipeline does not feed back any information that you might be affected by a security vulnerability. Now with Code Catalyst, you kind of have the you, you would have the power to actually see that, and you could alert users, right? Like like Lock for Shell, where that actually happened, right? But that's the kind of things where um, having this as an integrated tool, I think, gives a lot of more power and possibility. Yeah, I agree. And Caroline was talking about that from an AI uh, perspective too, of taking AI and putting it into DevOps. And she mentioned a couple of uh, customer scenarios where you, you, you know, you talked about DevOps Guru too, of, of finding things like that in code. And I love that putting things together holistically. You know, it's a journey process. You know, AWS, all of the services came out of solving real-world customer problems. At the time, it started. It was Amazon as you know the main customer problem. But then I I love that about the culture is it's 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 fixed things. So it's it's been the first place I've worked where the service, when I'm first introduced to it and I have to go talk to a customer about it, it's actually fixing somebody's problem. I've worked in other places yeah. where it was like, we'd made this cool thing. Now figure out what it what it does, right? <laughs> but the, 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 the flip-flop of that is exactly what you're saying is, as you progress through that and things evolve, you know, you're, here you are 16 years later, and there's been all these problems solved, but what does it mean when someone is trying to do something holistically, the whole, you know, modern app dev terminology. And that is, I, I love that you mentioned it. Some of the top three topics like in this podcast is how does Amazon do it and what's the right way to do it? 
<laughs> and so being able to have, you know, more, more guidance around that and, and allow that to bubble up, especially when you're first starting, I, I completely agree. And, you know, the Amplify team, I think is a great example of that through, you know, they have low code solutions and, and looking at holistically of, I want to do file new website and have actually hosted and figure out best processes. You know, it's the start things that's true they have you looked at application composer yeah okay now think about code catalyst when you start a project giving you the possibility to have application composer included then directly generating you all of the code putting it in the source making it deployable through a default pipeline right that's where that's where you can tie things together that you have been building in the last years right um so i think that's really uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of things that you can do, right? And here, Code Catalyst also shows that there's different service teams collaborating. And we have not always seen that in the last years, right? And I think that's also uh, something that happens be be below what we see as a product, right? And that's really cool to see. I want to ask one question that might be a little like backtracking, but I see you're wearing an AWS Community Builder sweater and you did mention the program. And I kind of want to ask you how you got into the Community Builder program real quick. Yes, of course. Uh, that's that's easy, right? Uh, you, uh, <laughs> you, Everyone can sign up to the program. It sounds easy. Uh, I know how many applicants we had this year, right? But uh, there is, um, I think at the moment, it's one once per year, maybe maybe twice per year. Uh, there is a form open. Uh, maybe we can link to the in the show notes into that uh, mailing list as well, Dave. Um, and then you can sign up. You can uh, add some comments and add some details. Now, I signed up with that form. How did I get in? I don't know. Right. Uh, I, I think I was. I am not surprised. Come on. When I, when I signed up that form, I had that was that was last year in January. Right. Um, I had no blog, no open source, uh, no talk given anywhere. Right. So I just signed wow. up with I'm interested in that. I want to do blah, blah, blah. And I added like two paragraphs around uh, what I like about um, AWS and what I like about doing that. And uh, that's that's kind of then how I got in somehow, and it completely changed the way that I look at AWS and AWS community for me, right? Uh, and so um, I know that we are um, we are a little bit uh, over time already, right? But um, I can tell a story of uh, how how I got into the uh, into the community work after that, right? And how it yeah, really, did. Um, yeah, okay. So um, after after getting into the community. Uh, builders which was in march right i went to the summit in berlin and um, there i did not go to the summit to attend the summit it was my first summit in, in actually uh, that i attended i just did go there to meet people and that was really fantastic because uh, a lot of heroes but other other builders just said hi and introduced me welcomed me to the community that's what i really loved and on the summit i decided okay I, so i met someone that had a user group in germany and he told me yeah you can do a user group just do it and that I did, right? And I started a user group as well locally right after the summit. Uh, and now uh, we are meeting um, uh, every four to six weeks in a very small town with like uh, 30K inhabitants, right? Um, and, but that's that's really has been life-changing for me. Also getting to know a lot of people around the globe, talking yeah. to them, learning from them, right? The builders brought me to speak at CDK Day and they brought me to speak at reInvent, right, to tell some of the stories that I had uh, in the last year there. And that was it's really fascinating. So uh, it opened up a, a whole new way in, of uh, for me to look at what cloud and what community actually means, 
right? And uh, so uh, the the key, the key thing here was uh, reInvent last year, right? Uh, I had attended two reInvents before. Uh, last year, uh, I decided I'm going to go whatever happens. And I went there and I met everyone, right? I was, I was in Slack. I was on Twitter. I was on LinkedIn chatting, writing with people I did not ever see before. And then I got to Vegas and I kind of met them all in person. Right. So at uh, on Vegas, uh, well, the reinvent starts at Monday and ends Friday. Uh, on Wednesday evening, I went to bed at 7.30 p.m. I woke up at Thursday morning, like 9 a.m. because I was so dead tired from talking. Um, so uh, it completely- That is the way to do it. You got to get sleep or otherwise you just wind up losing your voice. I mean, I did the opposite. So the reason Dave just said that is because I did the opposite on Wednesday night at reInvent. I w- went to sleep at 6 a.m. and woke up at 7.30 a.m., meaning I slept an hour and a half after three days of, of not sleeping. <laughs> and on Thursday, I recorded videos with a frog voice because I had no voice left. But yes, but the network, the amount of people, it's the most incredible feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Me- Connect with the community online and meeting them in person. Just to, to, I have to add, you also won second place in game day world championships in 2022. And I think your your way of interacting with the community, like you also met people through there, correct? T- tell me a bit more about that too. Yeah, so I've been playing game days for like three years or something like that, uh, maybe even longer, just because I like gamification, gamified learning, right? So if you have a, if you've not yet attended game day, uh, it's um, a possibility to uh, touch AWS community, AWS services in a kind of safe place. You can play around, you can try things out, but you get guided tasks or quests that you need to fulfill. That's a really cool experience, the way that I see it. And last year, AWS ran for the first time. I think it was Gunnar running an AWS Game Day World Championship. Uh, he had eight qualifiers with around 150 teams participating. Um, and I f- got a team together in my organization, and we and we just and we said, okay, let's try it. So we played uh, the the first the first one, uh, the the the, uh, the preliminary round, and uh, the top five were going going to the finals, and we ended fifth. Right. So that was okay. So we went into the finals and we thought, okay, cool. We competed. Let's see where we end. And then I don't know why, but we were on top until two minutes before the world championship ended. So we were the whole time on top. And then uh, my friends out of UK, uh, they kind of took over. Um, we, we know what we did wrong. I don't want to talk about that. Uh, but uh, <laughs> the most important thing is that the team that actually won the, the World Game Day World Championship last year, uh, they ended up uh, getting a free trip to, to reInvent. Um, and uh, I ended up meeting them there. Uh, I tried to steal the Game Day World Championship trophy. Unfortunately, I failed. Um, but uh, it was great fun meeting them, getting to know them. Uh, and uh, th- now um, three out of four uh, of that team are now community builders, right? So we have encouraged them to join the community builders. Uh, one of them also recorded one of my uh, CICD pipeline shows with uh, with me uh, last week. Uh, and it's been really cre- creating a, a community around uh, around this Game Day World Championship, right? And this was really cool. Uh, and yeah, like that. Awesome. Speaking of, where can people find your show? Yeah, I have a, a YouTube channel at the moment. We have uh, up to, uploaded a few videos already. Just started that. Uh, going to do some more. I did some on Cold Catalyst and more importantly, uh, CI/CD pipelines of different flavors, right? So we have GitHub Actions, we have Circle CI, we have Code Build, we have CDK pipelines. Uh, we're going to have Code Catalyst uh, soon as well, uh, just to give people the possibility, the opportunity to see how other people are doing stuff, right? Because that's what yeah. we 
we need to sh share, right? It's it's not always about talking best practices. It's also about understanding what challenges that people are facing or why they took certain decisions, right? And uh, yeah, I'm experimenting a little bit with YouTube. Let's see how it goes. And I'm enjoying very much the conversations that I have uh, through that at the moment. I love it. I, I will absolutely be following. And you've done so much and this everything we've talked about game days we've talked about your journey we've talked about in general CICD and and your you know just the importance of also making sure we stay curious learn and see what how other people are doing it so we improve and really have best practices implemented what is, what are you excited for next i think in general i'm excited at the moment for uh, the possibility as a community builder to help aws shape better products right so at the moment i'm working very close with the code catalyst team in terms of uh, giving my feedback back to the team and then seeing that the feedback that we give as builders is also taken for granted, right? So there was one or two things where something didn't work and within three days, the fix was in production, right? And that's what, I, what I'm what i excited about, right? Helping to shape things where I believe that they need to go uh, on the one side. And on the other side, yeah, it's it's all about growing the community, um, having fun, getting to know people, uh, having great interactions and having great conversations like this one. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We're, I, I'm really excited to hear about community builders always like interacting in the networking because I think that part is more valuable than, than anything when you're trying to also get feedback and, and learn. And in general, where can people find you to connect with you? I'm most active on LinkedIn and uh, that people can reach out to me. I also have a Twitter account that I kind of, because of the community now revived, I also have Mastodon, <laughs> but I'm not really using it yet, right? Um, so I'm I'm not that kind of uh, active person like others uh, on Twitter. Just don't have enough time, you know. I hear, well, you're doing YouTube and LinkedIn and all these other things. So so thank you so much for joining us as a firm as a former community builder. It always makes me so happy to kind of see how much I personally have. I don't think I would be where I am today without that program but in general like it's it's always just so exciting and, and and kind of emotional for me like i always like get really happy to see like um all the yeah, connections and, there, so. and i think um, that program really enables you to to learn new things and to to make sure that you grow as a builder right that's the way yeah. that we that, that the community program also positions it right and i really think that the team around that does a tremendous work right so the highlight for me last year reinvent right we did a pre-reInvent hike with the community builders. So a few weeks before uh, before reInvent, I asked in the community builders Slack around, hey, is anyone interested to do a hike with me on a Sunday? Yeah, and we did, right? So 10 people I never met before. Uh, we met in the morning at 10 a.m. Uh, everyone jet-lagged because most of us were from, uh, from, uh, from Europe, right? Uh, and then we did a yeah. four-hour hike, and it was awesome right it was really good cool right so that's that was really my highlight um going out hiking with people i've never met before with so many cool folks right uh, that was really uh my highlight yeah and you're being very humble you <laughs> have done so much and you know make sure you take a step back and really appreciate you're naturally you connect with people in the community i mean i remember the first time you became a community builder you were this active voice immediately through the Slack and you reach out to other people and that connection. So thank you for everything that you're doing because we need more people like you in the community. We need more one-to-one -one human connection here as we sit in 2023. You know, it's it's important to be together. We're all learning, things are evolving and you're a, a big part of that. So thank you for everything that you're doing, sir. And thank you for coming on this podcast. You're welcome back anytime. Some of these links I'll, I'll put in the show notes, but you have a lot of content and I know that people are gonna to continue to see free content from you. So thank you so much.
Yeah, and thank you so much for having me, right? And uh, let's let's make sure, right, that we shape things and that we all uh, stay positive, right? I think that's something that through the pandemic we have also uh, forgot, right? Life's not always gray, not always black. It's sometimes gray or it's sometimes white, but you need to see the, the positive attitude in things, right? Uh, and that's where going to call it out again, right? The community builders, uh, the DevRel team, community team is doing an amazing job with that, right? Thank you so much. This was so fun. Like I was born ready. So I'm just, okay. That's like a nineties, uh, like an Arnold movie where you would have one of those liners. It's this like, what happens when you work from home. Have a nice trip. And then he like trips a guy, you know, it's like one of those. All right. Everybody good? Yeah. Okay.